Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Hi, this is Dale Borglum at the Healing at the Edge channel of the Be Here Now Network. And I'm so happy to welcome my friend Annie Lamott, who lives here in Fairfax, She's a writer who's written many great books, books that make you laugh and cry on two different pages. Hi, Annie. Hi, Dale. And uh, I was raised as a Christian and, as you know, have been doing some Buddhist practice. But I really think there's a great deal of overlap. And even beyond that, that Christianity and Buddhism say the same thing when you get down to the basics. It's mm -hmm. about loving, loving your neighbor, being a compassionate person, being a kind person. Mm -hmm. And what I've been finding is that a lot of friends of mine have been having a hard time feeling compassion for people that they are close to, friends or relatives, who uh, don't have the same favorite presidential candidate that they do, that people who are uh, favoring Hillary cannot understand how some person in the right mind could want to vote for Donald Trump and vice versa. Somebody who thinks Donald Trump is the answer to all the world's ills thinks that this crooked person, Hillary, in their view, is even a possible uh, person to vote for. And even beyond that, uh, there seems to be so much divisiveness 
talking about killing people and booting them out. And in my whole adult life, I've never seen so much divisiveness. And it really seems to me that what's needed is more love force, more compassion. And yet it's so challenging right now. Uh, I have people that I'm close to that uh, I really profoundly disagree with politically. And I find it challenging to keep trying to open my heart, open my heart. I was curious uh, if you're, you're in the same situation that I am. Well, I think it's hard, and and we're all doing the best we can with a pretty impossible situation, i.e. that we all think that we're right. And if we didn't think we're right, we would have a different opinion, a different candidate, then that would be the right one. And, for instance, my older brother, is, who I adore, is coming down this afternoon to stay with me, and he's a fundamentalist Christian and um, I think a, a, still a Republican. He has been for 12 years and um, he will say stuff. He, he won't provoke me anymore, but he will say stuff. And, and I just, I want to, I, I just want to shake him and say, are you punking me? You know, are you punking me? Do you really think? And, um, and I don't, but I, um, I set a lot of boundaries so that I can protect myself from self-injury. As you know, I'm a huge proponent of radical self-care. So I will say things like Hillary's election is a huge deal for me. I'm 62, and since I was six years old in first grade, I have dreamt of a woman president. So it's best if we really don't even talk about this. Yeah. Today we get a break. We get to... Um, grace of God, which is usually spiritual WD-40, which is that we have the Olympics to watch yeah, instead of that's what you're going to say. the news. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and I, I um, struggle. Uh, you know, I wrote a whole book during the Bush-Cheney administration called Plan B uh, because I believe in the same things you believe in. I believe in unconditional love. I believe in, um, in service to the poor. I believe, I absolutely know that God loves Dick Cheney or Donald Trump just as much as God loves my seven-year-old grandson. That's the, that's the mystery of grace, and I don't get it. I will probably, um, this side of the grave, not get that, but I believe it. And so I don't um, tr act so much on my thoughts and my ideas about this stuff as I do my vague understanding of um, God's love and that God loved Donald Trump when he was suggesting the NRA might assassinate Hillary Clinton just as much as he did when Donald Trump was holding his newest grandbaby, just as much as God loves my grandson when he's playing with the cat. So um, I do practice radical self-care, though I don't talk about politics with people unless um, we're pretty much on the same sheet of music. People have said to me, let me get this right. You don't talk to people about politics unless they agree with you. And I said, yeah. You know, and <laughs> if that doesn't work for you, go talk to someone else. Well, that must avoid a lot of conflict. It avoids a lot of conflict. And um, this is, I think this is a very hard place, this incarnational realm, this side of things where we, we were raised a certain way. I was raised by liberals. I was raised by atheists. I have a lot of um, ideas and beliefs. I was saved by the women's movement when I was 16. I'm very, as you know, opinionated. 
And it's also just hard to be as sensitive as I am, and it's hard to be a seeker in the material world that is so overloaded with noise and input and, and you know, the whole gestalt of the modern era. And I think it's hard. And so a lot of what I have to convey is self-forgiveness because I'm doing such a poor job. There's people I'm mad at right now that um, are suffering people. They're people who have really been through a lot of challenges and, and even sorrow, and I'm mad at them. And I'm not adding to that by being my mad at myself for having some trouble forgiving them. And I can pretend that I have. So I, I usually do that. I pretend that it's not an issue for me any, anymore. But the psalmist in the Old Testament talks a lot about letting God in, you know, to the deepest recesses and that God already knows what's there. God knows our shadow. My pastor Veronica says, when you invite God into your life, you don't like um, trick the living room out really nicely and put some some adorable biscuits and tea out. You say to God, come on in, look in any drawer. I'll show you where the very worst drawers are. You're welcome to all of it. You're welcome to know me at that level. So God and I both know I'm having trouble with forgiveness or with accepting fanatical Trump people. And, um, and God, I think, just rolls her eyes and says, I get it. You know, it's really hard. And I love you exactly the same whether you're in forgiveness or not. I'm the only one who's suffering horribly. I don't think the person um, that I'm mad at even knows I'm mad at. So what's the point? <laughs> so Thomas Merton said, love and prayer are learned in the hour. When prayer becomes impossible and the heart turns to stone. And I really feel a lot of times that my heart turns to stone when I think about politics, that it really is very challenging to get beyond what seems to me so obvious, the opinions I have that uh, compassion for others being nonviolent, that that's really the way to go. And uh, often in Buddhism, compassion is talked about as compassion for the other person. Rarely do they get around to we need compassion for ourselves. And in my experience, compassion is an omnidirectional event. It's not like I'm feeling compassion for you and not for me. It's just we really have to begin to get that we can surrender into compassion. That includes everybody, not just the ones we like, but particularly it includes ourselves. Richard Rohr, the, the Catholic theologian, says, God comes to us cleverly disguised as ourselves, which I think mm -hmm. is, is really... Uh, a kind of a challenging way to look at things. Uh, so to me, compassion is the work of a warrior. It's often, I think people have the notion that compassion is being kind and being nice, but it, it, it really takes, it, there's also a quality of tough love involved. That compassion is the quality of being empty of self, of just allowing God in, as you're saying in another language, that, you, that the heart can get so big, so boundless, that no matter what people are doing politically and no matter how divisive it is or how violent, that the force of the, that you are trusting, that the force of love, the force of compassion is stronger than any other force in the world. And to me, that's the only way out of the place we are right now. I mean, it's just over the last 20 years as politics have gotten more and more polarized and divisive. 
uh, and I'm actually surprised that Obama didn't get assassinated. I, that he made it through, too, yeah. that he made it through seven and a half years or whatever. Yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. You know, when, when he first got elected, I thought there's somebody's going to get that guy, but mm-hmm. the Secret Service did a better job than I expected, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in a way, if you really want to be free, if you really want to be with God, then all of this stuff out there is is. I mean, that place where you're secretly angry at people, that's your work. That's my work. That's the place where, if you really want to be with God, that that's the veil that we have to begin to work with, that we have, comp- that we have compassion for ourselves, and that when something that difficult arises, can we take that as the impulse to soften our heart? Can, can difficulty soften our heart rather than just automatically harden into resistance and aversion? Well, of course, and um, in the recovery community, we say that the willingness comes from the pain and that um, any willingness to soften and to open up and to surrender um, is going to come from having made yourself so crazy and miserable by not doing that, that you're finally willing to do the sacrament of plopping down and saying to God, whatever, you know, it's the fourth great prayer. Whereas the young people say, what if, and mean it. But um, I also understand things so much from the point of view of being an addict in recovery. I just had 30 years clean and sober, and it probably for 29 of those years, I haven't thought of taking a drink. But um, I'm, a di- I'm an addict, and I get addicted to um, being right. I'm addicted to having um, the illusion of power, having the illusion of control. I... Um, I love adrenaline, left to my own devices, and thank God I'm not. I like drama. I'm really, really good at um, crisis management. If people are in trouble and turn to me, I'm at my very, very most centered because I'm getting some sense of value and esteem and power. And um, also, I have a, having been a child in an alcoholic family, I, I had a caseload by the time I was six or seven. You know, I, I was a marriage counselor. I had... A uh, little clipboard. I was trying to save both my brothers and my mom and dad and keep my dad coming home every night. So I got addicted. That that redoes your, your neural circuits. And so I have to, um, uh, speaking of tough love, I have to gently take myself by the ri- wrist and say, Annie, stop. Because it's like wanting to have a bag of Cheetos or a bag of M&Ms. It's like, I get to have that. I have free will, but it's going to hurt me. It's going to damage me. It's going to give me shame, and it's going to give me um, feelings of illness. And I have a choice. Do I want to do that, or do I want to have some cherries? Well, I kind of want the M&Ms because <laughs> I'm human, and it's hard. And um, But I need from um, t- to stop the train of addiction or adrenaline or, um, you know, the morphine of um, getting my way or the morphine of having people think I'm all that in a bag of chips. And I need to ask myself, what do I really want? Do I want that or do I want the eternal thing? Do I want to be a part of the the energy of love that surrounds us and, and inflows us? Do I want to be a part of the divine mind and the in service to God, which I think both you and I have discovered is the way to joy and to completion and fully um, being alive here and you know being present for the present 
So, um, but there's a lot of distractions and there, I'll tell you something, this is so petty. Um, but if I find out that a movie star who I've always liked is a Republican and loves Trump, I probably am not going to go to another movie they're in unless it's so great. But I'll sit there the whole time going, how can that beautiful, intelligent being think that Trump is a good idea? So it's about loving our imperfectly perfect selves and forgiving ourselves the way I would forgive you or I would forgive my son. I go, I get it. We screw up. We fall short. That's, you know, the archery term for sin is that we miss the mark and we get to start over. We get to start our new 24 hours over as soon as we remember that we get to. So my theology is about radical self-care and constant forgiveness and starting my new 24 hours as soon as I gently bust myself. So I've been working with these same issues, maybe in a kind of a different language. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been leading these groups, and there was a woman in one of my groups who's been in the group for a long time and is a really dedicated practitioner, a really lovely person. And after a couple of years, she said, you know, I really have come to the conclusion, I don't know what compassion is which kind of shocked me because that's basically what we've been talking about for two years. So I figured that I probably wasn't explaining it quite well enough and understanding it quite well enough. And I started doing some reading about compassion and what, what the Buddhists say about it, I found very uh, useful that there's, mm -hmm. th that there's three levels of compassion. And the first level is you open your heart up enough that you're moved by the suffering of other people or of your own suffering. And that's pretty easy to do when you hear that a child is sick or that somebody's abused or something like that. You know, you you're just you see a sick animal or something that your heart just opens very naturally if you're a normal human being. Some situations easier than other situations. It's harder to open up your your heart to the Republican actor. As, right. as you were saying before, it's harder to open up your heart to the abuser instead of the, to the abused. And uh, so that, that then brings me to the second level of, of compassion, which is you begin to understand how suffering arises, that it's, it's coming from grasping, and that if you really begin to understand that somebody is suffering and they're causing their own suffering, then maybe it's easier to have compassion for them. So, like, if I try to imagine what it feels like to be Donald Trump, that first of all, I have to, like, first of all, I imagine that. I mean, I have my own definition of him that has to do with narcissism and bullying and various things, other, other uh, psychiatric definitions of him, possibly. But if I really try to feel what I imagine it feels like to be him, only then can I really have compassion for him. Uh, and it's pretty easy to imagine things. Well, I imagine he feels like that, or th this friend of mine feels like that. But to feel the fear that somebody's feeling, to actually feel it in your body, then maybe, then maybe you can truly have compassion for that person, that it's taken it beyond, I'm, I'm trying to be a good person here, I'm, I'm generating some compassion toward you, but really put yourself in the shoes of that other person for a few few minutes. The third level of compassion is that that's your true nature, 
that it's not even something we've got to do, that when we get the stuff out of the way, we get the conditioning out of the way, that everybody is compassionate. But to me, it seems like there's this... Oh, sorry. That's okay. To me, it seems like there's this really tension between the part of us that wants to be free and compassionate and loving and the scared little kid that's trying to survive. Mm-hmm. That that learned very early on that you can't... Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Should have reminded you to turn off the phone. That was well, my... I was talking to you before, so I had to have it on. But anyway, okay, back in the saddle. Go, sorry. Okay, back in the saddle again. So what we're saying there, what I was saying, I think I can remember... <laughs> Once the train of thought goes, I got to like reboot the whole thing sometimes, it seems, these days. Uh, You're tra- talking about trying to be there for the little one inside who's really afraid yeah, and yeah. just trying to survive. So th- there's this tension between this part of me that wants to be free and loving and knows that's who I really am. Mm-hmm. And that long ago, I began to not trust my impulses because the people, the big people were saying, no, here's the rules. Here's the way to do things. Here's the way to get acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be accepted because they were feeding me. They, mm-hmm. were, they were taking care of me. So there's this tension going on. And that little person is really worried about survival. Mm-hmm. So that's like there's the survival instinct that's the superego that's really neurotic. And then there's this spiritual side that says, hey, that's all. That's just all a cloud passing through the vast sky that is your heart that's so boundless that it can contain all the suffering in the world. So that that's why we call it spiritual practice. That again and again and again, we buy into the scared voice mm-hmm. and have to have compassion for that, have to have compassion for that to the point that it can be humiliating if you really uh, have that propensity that again and again, to just allow yourself to be that person and, and bring it all to God or or surrender into compassion. Uh-huh. I think um, you've hit upon a number of important points. One is that by the fear and the held breath of um, childhood is how we survived. Um, Or in my case, with a pretty chaotic family situation, that if I thought I was the problem because I was defective or fell short or had too many needs, then that was the only measure I had of control in a family that was not doing very well. Because then at least I could become a better person or need less. And, um, and it's very, very hard to give that up because it was about life or death. If, um, if it was mom and dad that were, not a, that were nuts or alcoholic or codependent or, or miserable, then I was doomed. Because my caregivers were um, right. not able to keep me alive and my brothers alive. So I took care of everybody I developed this hyper-responsibility, and I believed that there was something wrong with me that was causing the unhappiness. So that's very hard to give up. I think that what I can say from my own travels um, in healing, in psychic and spiritual healing, is that I still um, go right back there. It's like to the base camp of um, hyper-self-consciousness, hyper-judgment, and um, responsibility, but I go there for shorter and shorter periods of time. I might go there for um, a couple hours later today and think that the reason 
my older brother is unhappy or my son or or um or Hillary is unhappy is because of something that I'm not doing, something defective about me. And I'll stop and I'll go, oh, Annie, it's okay. And I'll actually stroke my own shoulder the way I would a child or one of my Sunday school kids. And I'll say, we all do this. You know, this side of the grave, I don't think we're going to have perfect realization. I'm not going to. You may. But um, Thank but, you. Yeah. But what I, I have one basic lesson I teach my Sunday school kids, and they're all different ages. Sometimes there's one or two of them, and sometimes there's seven or eight teenagers. And what I teach them is that they're loved and chosen. At, I'm sorry about this dog. Should, I'm going to go shout at it. Um, um, Ladybird. There's no one at the door. It's just my dog has a hyper responsibility also. But um, <laughs> I say to my kids, I do a game with my kids, and I say, is anyone here wearing a, a, den- a denim shirt and um, wire- wireless glasses? And, of course, that would be you, but little kids never quite put it together. They always have to look around, and they raise, they go, oh, I am. And I go, you know what, Dale? You are loved and chosen, and nothing you do or don't do can change the, the degree of that, the, the, the spaciousness and, and infinite um, truth of that. You're just loved and chosen. You are love. You're made out of love, and, um, and it's a very, and I do it all the time with my kids, and it's very hard. It's hard for me to believe that this is a come-as-you-are party, you know, and um but that's my understanding of God is that. Um, <laughs> it's a great line. What? The come as you are part. Oh, it is, you know, and, and we do the best we can and we fall short. Even I've been writing a lot about Jesus lately. And, um, you know, there are some times in the Bible where he gets very pissy. And I don't agree with the position he has taken. Like with Martha and Mary, he gets very pissy with them when they doubt um, the whole the whole message of the gospel and the kingdom within us after their brother has died. Well, if my brothers die, we've got a problem on our hands because nothing is going to hold true for me anymore. And Jesus, is his position seems to be, oh, well, so the, when the going gets hard, you're no longer with me all the way. And, and I feel like, oh, for Pete's sake, their brother died, you know, and they think he, they could, uh, Jesus could have saved the brother. But, you know, Jesus makes mistakes. He, he um, is radicalized by this, the, the woman at the well. I mean, she challenges him. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table and we're starving to death. And um, I just don't think we're supposed to be doing better than we are. That was the message that kept us rewarded and safe as little children. And it's certainly the message of the American culture and why both you and I have found sanctuary and identity in small spiritual communities where we believe in a deeper truth than, than what our weight is this week, you know, or how our <laughs> hair looks. But um, the message, the constant, constant message is that you could be doing better. Now, that doesn't just mean it terms of keeping your weight down it means in terms of being more perfectly compassionate but I was walking my dog today and I was thinking about this person who I love and I act loving to but I'm still grudgy with her and um and I know that I'm grudgy with her because of what is revealed about me I know that that um what I see in the funhouse mirror of my relationship with her is 
that I'm uh, over, I can be overreactive or that I have such high standards or that I'm just neurotic. You know, I'm just neurotic. I have raging OCD. I need people to be on time. She's never on time. And then I'm reactive. And then I have to see this really um, kind of a, me- a regular old mess of a human being. But Jesus comes here to be a regular old mess of a human being and to say, it sucks here. It's hard here. People are brutal. Cain is still killing Abel. And I'm both of them. I'm Cain and I'm Abel and I'm brutal and I, I have an inner Donald Trump. And I have a, and I'm grudgy towards this woman because she reveals me to be reactive and to be more like my mom than I had hoped when I got into recovery and therapy 30 years ago. So it's like all ultimately comes back to what we began with, which is that it's about this profound self-forgiveness for our imperfect perfection. Richard Rohr, who I adore, who's like a saint, I'm sure he's just like us, you know. He has days that are just too long and where people are sitting on his last nerve. And But the stuff that we reveal is um, is our, more of a persona. And the stuff we reveal to God or we open up to God is um, our deepest, most screwed up human self. Our, our, it's, and we're both. We're those perfect children who are loved and chosen and we're the grudgy person who won't forgive this woman who's been through a lot of suffering because she's always late. So my first <laughs> meditation teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said, we're all perfect, but there's still room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been doing this spiritual stuff for decades and decades. I'm still pretty neurotic. I'm still judgmental at times, but I think... What's changing is it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Right, or last as long. And Ramdas said, uh, if you're enli- if you're a son of a bitch and you get enlightened, you'll be an enlightened son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. So that it's not like we're going to be saints. And I, I don't think Mother Teresa was really Mother Teresa for that matter. Right. And that that it's just that it's more complete acceptance, mm-hmm. more of opening the heart to the 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 frailty and the finiteness. But also, at the same time, opening it to the profound beauty that we are. That's maybe even harder mm-hmm. than, than opening it to the... Po- oh, yeah. Definitely. Also, um, along the lines... I have to yell at my dog again. It's so annoying. If Jesus were here, Jesus would yell at my dog, too. Um, um, in Texas, you hear people say all the time, God loves you exactly the way you are, and God loves you too much to let you stay like this. You know, and I think that's the tension. And again, willingness comes from the pain that we um, uh, we we are willing to change and to hurt a little um, and to not feel protected um, when the pain of not being that way gets to be too big. So um, I know I know that that I have tried so hard that that was here on earth to do a good job, to be a dear person, to take care of my family and my community and the poor. And, you know, like Isaiah says, to plead for the widows. And and I've tried to do that. And then there's my human, narcissistic, egotistic, inner, well, Donald Trump, who's currently kind of the it girl for everything that is our dark, shadowy, bullying 
blowhard side. And I have that. I have tried so hard. And the trying was not um, ever going to be the solution. You know, figure it out is not a good solution. It's not a good slogan. But in my family of intellectuals, figure it out was the path. And that if you could figure it out, that would give you the illusion of being safe and and esteemed. And and to give up that um, and to go, boy, I don't have a clue about that is the beginning for me of of wisdom and of of healing. I was just rendered speechless by something you said, and I can't remember quite what it was. (laughs) Uh, Somehow, somehow, to me, compassion seems to be the, the, the core of the matter here. And in these groups I lead, a lot of what we talk about is compassion. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this magic two words that, that when I say Donald Trump, then people almost never can feel compassion anymore. It's like a, it's like a magic wand that I, I can wave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember... A long time ago when I was at Ramdas's house, he had a picture of Jesus and a picture of Buddha and a picture of Maharaji and a picture of Dick Cheney. Uh-huh. And uh, to me, there's like two p- parallel spiritual paths. One path is to be able to love Dick Cheney mm-hmm. and have compassion for him and to feel who he must be to act the way he does. Mm-hmm. But another path is to really love the boundlessness of Christ, the boundlessness of, of, of the Buddha, that, that in a way, to me, that's even harder mm-hmm. to, to really accept that I'm whole. It just seems it, it, uh, it's getting slightly easier as time goes on. But uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest impediments on the spiritual path is this self-judgment, the superego, the, mm-hmm. the thing that keeps saying, uh, I'm not good enough. Uh, at these groups I lead, there's a, I give a little talk, there's a guided meditation, and people check in. And there was this guy named Charles. He died recently. But anyway, he was in the group for three years, three or four years. And for the first two years, every time when he would check in, he'd say, my children are driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. And he had some very challenged children who were involved with they were the, the, the courts were involved and children were being taken away from parents and all kinds of really complicated, messy stuff. But it took him two years to get to the point of coming in and saying, my children are really having a hard time and I'm pretty good this week. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love them. And, and in Buddhism, there's this slogan that's kind of put very poorly, I think. It's drive all blames into oneself. And it doesn't mean that you're blaming yourself, but as long as you're blaming your children or the weather or the Republicans or anything else from making you feel bad, healing isn't going to be possible. Mm-hmm. That really what it takes is it's your reaction. It's your own thing that's going on. And for instance, like cancer doesn't cause suffering. Resistance mm-hmm. to cancer causes suffering. Mm-hmm. The, and maybe what Jesus was saying is that uh, the death of your brother doesn't cause suffering, but your relationship with it, that you can, there's a way of consciously grieving. There's a way of feeling profoundly sad, 
but not losing connectedness with Christ at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure what he was trying to say, but uh, I try to help people grieve consciously. And uh, so when suffering arises, there's three possibilities. You push it away. I'm going to get really busy. I don't want to feel this. This is too much. Or you get identified with it. You get lost in it. Oh, my God, this is more than I can bear. The third possibility is compassion. And it's it's like when something is as, as deep as your brother dying or your child being diagnosed with an illness or you losing all your money or whatever it might happen to be, it's very hard to, to stay present, to stay compassionate and rather pushing it away or getting lost in it. Rumi says grief is the garden of compassion. A garden is a place where something edible, wonderful, beautiful grows. And so, dies. And <laughs> dies. So that that compassion has the quality of being connected. I mm-hmm. can't have compassion for you or for me or for Donald Trump or for anybody if I don't connect with that. Mm-hmm. And and grief is negative emotions arising in relation in response to feeling separate. Mm-hmm. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you get mad at them. That's a grief reaction and a kind of a lower level of what grief can be. Mm-hmm. So that one way of looking at all this is how do we transform our feeling of separateness? Me feeling separate from you, you feeling mm-hmm. separate from Donald Trump, Donald Trump feeling separate from everybody, whatever it is, to feelings of connectedness, to heal the place where mm-hmm. it's it's too scary to connect. Well, the separation that kills us is the separation from self. And of course, I think you were saying that, and 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 that the other people and God that we sep- are separate from or experience separation from are manifestations of that, that there are parts in ourselves that are just too hard to accept and to love. They're, they're just appalling. You know, They're the source of all great literature is, is the human stain, as um, Philip Roth put it. But I, my understanding of things and, is that we have a dual citizenship and, and, um, and that it's like having an English passport and an American passport, and that we are the child of God, we're the child of the universe, we're made out of the same stuff Jesus and Buddha were made out of, we're made out of Holy Spirit energy, it's very Einstein, it's, it's, it, there's only one thing, and it's us, and, um, and then there's also the part that was a child who was really damaged by a very harsh and brutal and competitive culture, and became a person who was capable of being harsh and competitive and brutal to other people as a way of, of coping with the terror of being here, the terror of our mortality. So I think, you know, we, we vacillate between those two passports. And as we were saying earlier, the blessing and the healing is that we, when we go into the separation from self and the judgment and the in, internalized critic, um, we, we catch ourselves so much more quickly. I mean, I lost years to this in my 20s. And uh, I got sober when I was 32. And I began to um, then be able to very gently bust myself and to see that I was judging or harshing on people because of stuff I rejected from my own self or pretended I wasn't troubled by anymore. So I'm so into imperfection and into... Um, you know, I've always written about wearing very forgiving pants, you know, not trying to shape up and, and fit into smaller pants or fit more perfectly into the, that size, but instead to find some pants with elastic so that 
there's even less opinion of you than than what you bring. You know, there's you, you don't need to have your pants thought pants thoughts on how you're doing. You need to wear pants that don't judge you, and that means elastic. So there's a lot of ways in which um, I wish that I lived differently, that I made different choices, that I wasn't squandering my life sometimes in certain ways. And then there's other the the focus for me is saying you get to. You know, you have free choice, and if you want to stop doing that, we can stop it for the day or for part of the day. There's no lightning bolt. God doesn't use, you know, skywriting, or God doesn't have a magic wand. But it is a very prominent belief in recovery, which is that you take the action and the insight follows. So that if I'm off or I'm itchy and rashy on the inside or grudgy, I'm not going to figure that out in a way that's probably going to be very helpful. But if I want to have really loving feelings, I'm going to go do a bunch of loving things. Now, some of them I'm going to do anonymously. Some of them I'm going to go to the health food store and I'm going to flirt with the old people who are pretty invisible to almost everybody else who's got their smartphones and is racing around with their, you know, their whole precious lives and whatnot. And I'm going to flirt. I'm going to meet. I'm going to tell them I love. I'm going to tell them I love their hats. You know, I'm going to tell them my aunt had a hat like that, even if she didn't, and it's going to make him so happy. And we're going to start to talk about I Magna in the '50s and the sales girls that wore white gloves. And we're going to get into what I think heaven will be like, which is what you've touched on a lot, and what in all of your your teachings you touch on, which is that sense of connection, that sense of connection, whether we're in the desolation or whether we're in the in the joyful, you know, the, the the playfulness or the radical silliness. I said in um, some book years ago that laughter is carbonated holiness. And this is probably how I most often experience grace is that I get my sense of humor back about myself. And I don't feel like that clutchy exhaustion with my own neuroses and said I think this is going to be a great story. You know, I can't wait to tell Janine because I know she has it. The greatest words of, that I interpret Jesus as having said over and over again are, you know what, me too. It's hard here. It's brutal. Most people are starving. Most people are being oppressed. Me too. Here, Jesus' message to me is, Annie, go get that lady some water. Go sit with those kids. I always have crayons in my purse because I'm a Sunday school teacher. Go draw with that kid, you know, while the mother is registering. Go do this. We take the action and then the insight follows. So just to remind myself of that with you right here, right now, is going to change my whole day because I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing loving actions as a as a subversive act so that I will have those loving child feelings that everybody, every great teacher says we need to have to experience the kingdom. What do you think I should do with all those pants in my closet that are too small that I keep thinking I might fit into again? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) you may and you may not. I would keep one or two pairs of them and I give them away. People need great pants. I've seen you. You're a nice dresser and I would maybe share them. Maybe put three or four <laughs> pairs in a bag and take them down to St. Rita's. There's only about three or four pairs there. Oh, maybe keep two. Maybe I keep two in case I get thin again. You never know what might happen. Yeah, so, it could happen, yeah. So to wrap this up, what would you say to somebody who's really, really profoundly bothered by what's happening in the country right now politically and all the terrorism that's exploding all over the world and people, some people... 
uh, I've had people come to my groups and start talking about the world, and they just break down crying. They just, they yeah. just, they they just think the the, the planet, or the environment is being completely degraded beyond the point of return, and mm-hmm. uh, that people are uh, becoming more and more separated from each other, mm-hmm. and. Uh, on and on, you could pick almost any any area of society or mm-hmm. planetary existence and make a pretty a pretty bleak uh, assessment of what it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this, to me, what that does is it 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 inspires me to practice. It inspires me to be a more compassionate person. And I I, I even have friends who are moving out of the country. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend who's moving to uh, Colombia with suitcases full of gold and silver coins mm-hmm. because he feels it's too dangerous here. And my feeling is I want to be in the middle of it. If, mm-hmm. if everything's going to go to hell, then I've had the blessing of all this training and all these wonderful teachers and and living here in Marin and in Fairfax so that I think God's given me the assignment that feet on the ground, boots on the ground, whatever it is, be a, a compassion warrior here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's about all we can do. We're not, um, I absolutely believe that grace bats last and no matter what happens in the, in, on the earth and in the world that um, grace and God's love and mercy and tenderness and, and the Jesus heart and the unborn Buddha heart are, are bigger than anything that life may throw at us. And um, I think that we, just for today, um, stop thinking about how it's all turning out and we think about what ingredients we can bring to the mix so that we bring love and we bring smiles, you know, and we we share what we have. Those pants aren't going to fit you again, Dale. (laughs) Keep two of them. Maybe if I get really sick, though. See, that's the thing. You never know. I mean, (laughs) if you get really sick, I'm going to bring you two great new pairs of pants as part of my spiritual work but that's a deal you know we give and we we just get we think that we're going to be safer and better if we understand and if we have more and we're only going to be safe and we're only going to be well if we give more so today until we meet again we just give we just give what has been so freely given to us and um and we just share the love that we've been so freely given and we get thirsty people water that's what I know. We are loved and we are chosen and we're safe. I'd like to thank you so very much and ask you, is there anything you'd like to plug before we say goodbye here? Any recent book you think people might really enjoy reading or something else? Well, I loved and was completely lifted by the New Zealand movie called Hunt for the Wilder People. So I'm going to recommend that everybody see that, but that mostly what you do today is flirt with the very old, give away clothes that no longer fit, and get thirsty people water. Give away whatever money you can. You know, give, send 25 bucks to Oxfam today. Feed some people today. You know, and then I think that rest is a spiritual act, and that that we stick together. You know, I would always stick together with you if you were suffering. I would show up. It's like before I turned on Woody Allen that he said that 80% of life is just showing up. And I think it's true. So thanks, Dale. Uh, Thank you. Let me also plug the Living Dying Project website, livingdying.org. We've got, I think it's the most complete website 
with information about conscious dying, conscious caregiving. And there is an online workshop that people can sign up for that's advertised right on the front page. So once again, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate who you are in the world and our friendship and look forward to talking to you soon. Me too. And as my pastor always says in the benediction, God bless you good. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.